0: I've been very interested by dbt recently because it's apparently come out of nowhere and just taken the data engineering world by storm so i really was looking for an explanation and i found it in the data engineering podcast so here's a 10 minute clip on how it works it's very detailed because it's an open source standard that has captured the imagination of much bigger companies like fivetran where george fraser is essentially betting his company on dbt despite it being a much smaller startup so have a listen
1: The thing that dbt really helps you solve is building this corpus of uh of data this like information architecture in your database and so having a really good definition of exactly what an order is or what a user is for instance that's a really challenging problem when you have multiple different apps with uh, varying levels of authentication for instance uh, visitors users etc and so you can build out all of these data models with dbt and so Usually the starting point is like you have some problem and you're just, you don't want to go and encode the transformation in your actual analysis. So here's when we see a whole lot. You are an e-commerce company and you sell your product in a dozen different countries. And so every time you want to do any analysis, you have to sort of build a union that unions together the orders from a dozen different countries. And so one day you get tired of doing that and you check out DBT. And basically what you do is you open up a folder, you you pip install dbt or brew install dbt. You set up your connection information so that dbt knows how to talk to your database. And then you open a, a model file. And these are just .SQL files in some Git version repository on your hard drive. And so what you do is you start typing the SQL select statement that produces the transformation that you want to materialize in the database. And so maybe you start by, you know, select star from us.orders. You need all select star from ca.orders, and you enumerate your, your dozen different uh, data sets, and then you, you know, press save at the end, and you pop up in your terminal. And so now it's the actual process of invoking dbt to materialize the SQL select statement as, a, uh, as an object in your database. And so the way that you do that is simply by executing dbt run which is the secret of uh, why dbt is named what it is. It's, uh, it's very short and easy to type compared to something like the world's greatest data build tool. That would be too long, I think. So, um, okay. <laughs> so once you have run your dbt project, dbt will find all of the models that exist in your uh, identified dbt project. So, you know, git is identified by a .git directory. dbt projects are identified by a dbtproject.yaml file. And so if you have one of these files, you're in a dbt project and anything in a folder called models by default is considered a model. And so maybe you build that thing, you write your tests to insert, to assert that your order IDs are unique and not null and that, uh, every order has a, you know, a user associated with it, say. And then all you have to do is go into your BI tool and, uh, instead of selecting from a dozen different orders tables in a big union, you can replace that with select star from, in my case, dbtdrew.orders. So if I, I run that code and it checks out and everything looks great, what I can do is, you know, go do the Git flow and push my code, merge to master, deploy in production. In my production environment, the target schema is called analytics instead of dbt-drew. And this is all configuration, you know? And so suddenly you can swap out dbt-drew for analytics in your reports and you're pointing to the production data model for your union-to-orders dataset. The wonderful thing here is as time passes, if you find that... Uh, you actually wanted to exclude some orders that were that were test orders. They didn't really count. You want to filter on the IP address for your office or something. You now have a logical abstraction for what an order is. You're not pointing to 12 different source tables in your BI tool. You're instead pointing to, to the abstraction of an order. And so you go into your model and you, at the very bottom, add, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, is internal equals false or whatever. You do the same Git flow to push for production and all of a sudden, all of your reports that point to orders now have an updated, more correct defin- definition of what an order is. And this is something that you certainly could do by clicking into the 50 different reports that touch orders in your BI tool, but certainly it's uh, probably nicer to just do it in one place instead.
0: And also, if you don't have this version repository of queries and reports and the ability to collaborate on it fairly easily, then you end up leaving everyone to write their own SQL, usually ad hoc, and they might have their own assumptions as to what an order is or what a customer is or how to structure the query to join across different tables. And so everybody's going to have slightly different views of the data or slightly different uh, outputs. And so definitely having the ability to have one location that everybody can look to and one interface for everybody to collaborate on makes it much easier and more scalable to have more people working on building and interacting with these analytics reports and these analytics pipelines.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a great point. What we find is that in the process of building out these data models, what you're actually doing is generating knowledge about your organization. And so you're saying, here's exactly what an order is, or here's exactly how we calculate MRR. And to that end, DBT ships with uh, auto generated documentation about your project. You can run dbt docs generate to generate this single page app of all of your models with all the tests on the columns and descriptions that you can populate for these different models. And so if you do have some consumer of the data that isn't using DBT, they have a great place they can go and and see uh, all the models that exist and all of the columns and and your pros about uh, all of it. And so in that way, it's sort of a, a catalog of all the data that your organization commands and sort of instructions for use too.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is definitely very powerful because... Particularly having the documentation be generated as part of the code as opposed to something that someone does after the fact or alongside the work that they're doing means that it's much more likely to stay fresh and uh, actually be updated periodically rather than somebody putting in the time and effort to write some prose once when they first build the overall reporting pipeline and then it uh, quickly grows stale and useless over time as new modifications are made.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right.
0: And another interesting capability that DBT has is the idea of packaging and being able to package up these different subsets or uh, of reports or transformations so that they're reusable across different teams and across different code bases. So can you talk a bit about how those packages are set up and uh, implemented, and also maybe talk a bit about uh, who the sort of primary drivers are for the different packages that are currently
1: available? Sure. So when dbt runs, it will look in a couple of different places for what uh, we would call resources. And so an example of a resource is a model or a test of a model. Or um, things like documentation snippets, et cetera. And so one of the places it looks is your models directory, which are the models that you've created. But the other place it looks is a folder called dbt modules, which is sort of node inspired. And so what you can do is just drop whole dbt projects into that dbt modules folder, and they get picked up as though they're a natural part of your project. And all of these resources become available in the compilation context that dbt provides. And so there are basically two types of packages that that are produced. One is dataset specific packages and the other is sort of macro or utility packages. An example of a, a dataset package is something like Snowplow. And so we're huge fans of uh, the Snowplow event tracking system at Fishtown Analytics. The big idea is that you can track events from all your different clients and they flow directly into a big events table in your warehouse. And so this event table is like an immutable event log. It has the full history of you know every interaction that you cared about to track in a single table, which is phenomenal. It's a great resource. But the problem is it's difficult to plug a BI tool right into that, either because it's too much data or because the things you really care about are, are hard to analyze, like how many people had two different events in a single session. And so what we frequently find ourselves doing is rolling up these events into sessions using some code that was actually originally produced by the Snowplow team called their web data model. And so what we can do is we can make a package of these transformations that go from raw events to page views, to sessions, all the way up to users. And then we encode these things as dbt models. And if you include this package into your dbt project, when you type dbt run, these models will automatically run. You can also reference them from your own models. So if you wanna do marketing attribution on top of sessionization that was provided by the Snowplow package, you can absolutely do that. The other broad type of package that we make is maybe more focused on macros. And so the Jinja templating engine supports something called macros, which are kind of functions that return text, basically. In in most cases, text. We've actually hacked them so they return other things, which is pretty wild how we do it. And and so what you can do is if you find yourself writing the same type of code over and over again, what you can do is make a macro that accepts arguments and spits back out usually the SQL that you need to, uh, to encode that particular piece of logic. So here's a really good example that shows the full like force of the DBT compilation engine. We wrote a actually let me correct that. Somebody contributed a pivot macro that you could point to a table and a specific column, and you can say uh, pivot out the values into this column using this aggregate function. So you say, look at the orders table. Look at the um, you know how about this better example? Look at the Products table. Look at the product color, and then pivot that pivot that out to like color red, color blue, color green, with a, a one if that's true, or a zero if it's not. And so this is probably something that a lot of people have written manually many times over. But with macros and the ability to sort of encapsulate logic plus packages, which is a distribution mechanism, we can write that thing once, and many many people can benefit from it. So this is one example of a macro that was contributed by. A member of the dbt community. But really, this this dbt utils package that contains the pivot macro has dozens of macros, many of which were contributed by dbt users. And the really cool thing is a lot of these people aren't engineers by trade, they're analysts. And so for a lot of them, it's their first time contributing to an open source repository. And that's a pretty cool experience to be the benefactor of the, the code that they wrote.
0: By the way, I have a lot of respect for Tobias Macy. I think he's one of the most underrated podcasters in the tech space. He does a Python podcast as well as a data engineering podcast. And he's very monotone. He knows that is his weakness, but he does focus on very important issues. And his website is just great with all the transcripts and uh, really good questions that that he brings up. So it's worth a listen.